Thanks, Carl. That's the first time that we've actually had the um, national anthem live, and uh, all things going well, I think she might join us for the rest of the tour. So give it up for Carl. And uh, welcome to all of you. Look at you. Amazing turnout. We're so thankful that the weather has um, passed, and um, it's nice and um, a, a cool, crisp Taupo evening rather than a wet, rainy one. Um, we want to also thank um, the Pub and Grub for hosting us. Uh, there was a bit of pressure put on them, but they didn't fold, so let's give it up for them. And um, we will shortly be introducing you to the MC for the night, Brent. He's done an amazing uh, job down here in Taupo coordinating, coordinating this and getting you all together. So let's put, give our hands together for Brent. Good on you, Brent. And I'd like to congratulate us for making uh, the top 12 of the Disinformation Dozen. <laughs> Thank you uh, to Puhana Matatini and your rhetoric and your bullshit. <laughs> all we're asking is the evidence. We just want the evidence. We're all about facts and evidence here. They've never been able to take us down on that. We've asked for the full unredacted Pfizer contract to be shown to the New Zealand public. There's crickets on that. We've asked for the actual isolated so-called virus. It doesn't exist. It never has. That's a, just a fact. No one's been able to prove us wrong. You had the cold and flu because you noticed that took a hiatus for two years overseas. Now all of a sudden it's back. Didn't even pass MIQ. <laughs> Wasn't held up at all. Just come straight on in and started attacking. It's just like all these restaurants where you were made to mask up, but it's okay to sit down because apparently the virus will only take you out if you're like this tall. If you're here safe but it sits up on the raft as like a ninja so as soon as you get up boom you're gone dropping dead can't help it and why are you all still alive 
In fact, I'm going to see if you're still alive by the end of the event. Now, I'm going to, we always hold a poll, so we're going to hold a poll. Because you guys, because you know the, the government comes out with all their polls. 63% say this, blah, blah, blah. But you're the reality, okay? Not the statistics that they push. So I'm going to ask, hands up anyone who knows anyone or you have yourself been affected by this jab? So there's quite a lot of hands there. Yeah, like have, has it, who's had an adverse, adverse reaction? I know of people who have adverse reactions. Yeah. Still yeah, a lot of people. hands down the back. Yep, still a lot of hands. Yeah. Almost every hand in Hamilton went up. There's almost 300 there. Yeah. And this is the reality of it all. And, and how many of you know anybody who's uh, actually died of the jab? Anybody? Within a temporal two weeks of actually having had it. But, of course, they don't admit that, right? They don't actually say that. Yeah. No, so they're now saying that uh, 200,000 people are going to be affected by the lasting effects of COVID. Long COVID, they Long call COVID. It. And apparently pericarditis and, uh, pericarditis and myocarditis are now um, on the increase because of COVID. So, yeah. so who knows somebody who's died of COVID? Okay, well. No. Anybody? One person? No. Because no. now the mainstream media is finally uh, making the differentiation between dying of COVID and with COVID. And you'll remember that guy that got killed by a bullet? Well, and apparently he died of COVID. So uh, we know that they're, um, they're, they are actually the misinformation agents. And this week, yesterday on the AM show, you might have seen Ryan Bridges actually admitting at the end that um, Jacinda Ardern was trying to say that all of you who went to Wellington and the whole Wellington uh, coverage by social media platforms was based on imported ideology and um, misinformation. And apparently the majority, well, all those 12 dozen of disinformation channels are actually all based here in New Zealand. So maybe they were the ones spreading misinformation. And you're all white supremacists? <laughs> They're trying to say we're white supremacists, but we have our own token spear chuckers that we brought along. <laughs> there's one there, of them. Yeah, there's one there. <laughs> so how many of you actually went down to Wellington? Oh, look at that. Wow, awesome. Legends. Give yourselves a big round of applause. Yep, you deserve it. That was the, the biggest protest uh, that New Zealand's ever seen. Yep. And uh, I don't think we've ever had a protest where not one single politician actually went down to talk to the people. Yep. So, That's true. Uh, well, but he's not a sitting politician at the moment. So 120 uh, postal workers down there in the Beehive decided to ignore you all and uh, just carry on pushing their papers. And what was the, I heard something on the media today that they were trying to find out what uh, everybody's thoughts were about what's going on at the moment. I was like, did you not see all those thousands of people outside the beehive? Couldn't you have just gone to talk to them? Like, hello? Millions and millions and millions of dollars is getting spent on trying to silence you. That's why we've come along, because we're your voice. You come through us, we give you the platform so other people can see they're not alone. And the amount of carnage that we're recording in the documentary as we go around and the amount of people that get up and speak about it and others who can identify with it is massive. It's on a massive, massive scale. People who have lost their jobs, people who have had their families destroyed and ripped apart because one lot sits there every night religiously on a diet of mainstream media, misinformation and disinformation because that's all they peddle. Because as you see, climate change is now, that, that bus is ramped up, that's coming right up the arse of, um, of COVID. 
and now apparently climate change is causing all these variants. Let's let's just have a little bit of a let's have a thought about that for a minute. Your variants started coming when you started jabbing people. So where do you think that's coming from? Now they tell you that COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, which has never been isolated from any patient anywhere in the world, you can check. It's a fact. So what are they vaccinating against? And then they tell you you've got to be second jabbed and boosted in order to deal with all these variants. Yet the jabs and boosters were already created. So what are they boosting against? It has nothing to do with the virus. The virus in and of itself does not exist. That is just a fact. We're still waiting for someone to prove us wrong. Yet they will not do it. Why? What's the agenda behind it? And from the 22nd to the 28th of this month, they're selling you out to the World Health Organization where all member states are going to be controlled by the World Health Organization. What do you think is coming down the track after that? There's something seriously amiss here. And people need to start asking questions. You need to start talking to your neighbors instead of not. And you need to start getting back to a community level where you can create the local solutions for your local problems. Because centralization of power is bullshit. Unless you well, fumigate Parasite Palace, I can't see that stopping anytime soon. And that's, that's part of what this tour is about, right? It's, not, uh, it's about remembering what happened in Wellington because it ended in a complete disaster yep. and so much uh, police brutality. And I do want to actually take this opportunity to let you know about a guy called Steve who contacted us today who he was trespassed from Parliament and uh, he didn't realise that his court case was coming up and he thought that the charges had been dropped but the police turned up at his doorstep on Sunday and uh, due to you know some issues with his wife needing medication and all that, the police ended up coming into his home and beating him up like brutally. Yeah, they like took a big chunk of his eyebrow out. Uh, so yeah, we'll put those photos up. But it was absolutely horrific what's gone on. And uh, so this police brutality is not stopping. And uh, it actually woke a lot of people up. And hopefully. By sharing your stories and continuing the conversation, we're not going to forget what happened because the media wants to quickly move on. They want to quickly blame people like us for bringing you the truth, and they are going after us. Uh, we've had the police since Wellington on our case. Every single police... Um, Station in the country has been told about the Let's Not Forget tour. Um, they do, do they cool, do really. do drive-bys and make sure everybody's safe. Uh, and our and in Hamilton, um, our lovely tour manager said, "Well, you're welcome to come up and check." And uh, everybody here likes to take self-responsibility, so thank you for caring. They are all safe. <laughs> um, and what else have we had? We've had the mainstream media after us, of course. They're now mentioning us on uh, the comedy shows. Um, have you been paying attention? Where they said Whitaker's chocolate is the First, uh, well, for the 11th year in a row, it's the most trusted brand. What is the second most trusted brand? And you said, counterspin, the truth will out. He was, of course, taking the piss, but um, that's free advertising. Yeah. You know what I mean? The more they attack us, the more people want to know why. Then they come and get the red pill. And it's because you are all going to come, well, a lot of you tonight are going to come up and speak. We've got a great lineup of speakers. We've Absolutely. also just had um, a climate change scientist uh, come to this event after he heard what we're doing. So he's going to give you a little introduction to what he's talking about. And he's doing a, a nationwide tour as well. So we'd like to do a climate change symposium um, once we've finished this tour and have a full eight hours of scientists in this country talking about the real facts and evidence. Um, I personally... Uh, I don't know how loud I should say this, but I personally did support the Greens and I did used to work Ooh. for Greenpeace. <laughs> um, but I have since then seen the light and I've actually actually looked at the, the scientific evidence and I'm not just believing the rhetoric. So now uh, I can stand here and say that um, 
Climate change is not happening in the way they want you to believe. Obviously, the climate changes every day, but sea levels aren't rising at an exponential rate that we all need to be scared and hand over our freedoms. Well, we should have been spelting gills in 2000, flapping around on our lawn. That didn't happen. So, um, Calvin, have you got any other words before we hand over to Brent? I've got a lot, but I will save that till later. I'd rather hear these other guys, to be honest. All right, and we've got a very, very special guest as well coming up. She uh, shared her story with us tonight. It's very, very horrific what's happening, but uh, we'll let, let, save that till later on. So without further ado, we'll hand over to Brent. And thanks very much, guys. It's pretty good. Well, we'll try that again, Taupo. Got a bit keen earlier on. Uh, can you all hear us out the back? And over the side? Um, we've got a new speaker on board tonight. He's a scientist. His name's going to be Dick Greeny. And uh, he'll be up here shortly. But Taupo, thank you for turning up. It's a pretty good crowd. Yeah, that sounds better. And um, a few thank yous to the Pub and Grub for allowing this event to be here tonight and to let people have have a say and and you know enjoy their freedom and democracy also Calvin and Hannah without those guys uh, touring the country you know having the courage to to cop the heat from authorities just for spreading freedom and democracy giving people a chance to talk you know without them we wouldn't even be here tonight so another big round of applause for them please Uh, so as I said, we've got um, our good man on climate change here speaking shortly, and after him it will be uh, Kathy White from the Waikato Regional Council. Then we, yep, round of applause, round of applause, yes, yes, always like to hear from them. After Kathy will be Murray Shaw, 1987 stock market crash and corrupt solicitors, be interesting chat, and we have a special guest who we cannot name, who will share her personal story um, at the end of the discussion. But before her, we have a lady who's written an amazing book here, Carolyn Stock, PhD. So the great Claire Slate, Humanity Now, she'll also be talking before the last speaker. So excellent lineup of guests. And um, <clears throat> I suppose I'd better tell you who I am, why I'm here. Um, my name's Brent Harvey, and here because pretty much sick of the bullshit. And I work overseas, I have for the last two years, uh, going through Auckland Airport, going through Singapore, just me, no one else, deserted. It's quite crazy what's been going on. I uh, had about 14 weeks of isolation in uh, hotel rooms, which quite hard. And... Um, I don't know how many times I've had my nose ringed, probably a hundred, and then you sort of, we all here now tonight, and vaccinated or unvaccinated, you're like, what was it for? You know, what was the last two and a half years for? It achieved nothing. That's all it did, it achieved nothing, and... Um, we're here now talking about it. We've still got questions, so I'm not the only one confused. i just got one uh, document I'd like to read to you, 
Um, it's from a group called COVID. Uh, uh, hold on, Conference of COVID. No, stand by, stand by. Sorry, first time I'm seeing. Bear with me. We've got the Global Climate Summit, okay? And this is a group run by a guy called Dr. Robert Malone. Some of you would have heard of him. Was part in inventing MRA technology decades ago. Has patents for it. Been the head of viruses and vaccines all over the world for the last 40 years. Um, he's worked for the American government, worked for the Defence Force, he is their go-to guy, or should I say he was their go-to guy. Um, him and a few mates, under two years ago, probably more like just over a year ago, started this group, and you know, obviously they're a little bit sussy about what's going on. And I mean, we're talking smart people here, very smart people. That group has grown from half a dozen to over 17,000 doctors and medical scientists from all over the world. And on May the 11th this year, they put out a document, a declaration to all governments around the world. So I'd just like to read you that. It'd take a couple of minutes and bear with me. I've got to read off my phone, sorry. Right, here we go. 17,000 physicians and medical scientists declare that the state of medical emergency must be lifted. Scientific integrity restored and crimes against humanity addressed. We the physicians and medical scientists of the world, united through our loyalty to the Hippocratic Oath, recognise that the disastrous COVID-19 public health policies imposed on our doctors and our patients are the accumulation of a corrupt medical alliance of pharmaceutical insurance and healthcare institutions along with the financial trusts which control them. They have infiltrated our medical system at every level and are protected and supported by a parallel alliance of big tech, media, academics and government agencies who profited from this orchestrated catastrophe. This corrupt alliance has compromised the integrity of our most prestigious medical societies to which we belong, generating an illusion of scientific consensus by substituting truth with propaganda. This alliance continues to advance unscientific claims by censoring data and intimidating and firing doctors and scientists for simply publishing actual clinical results or treating their patients with true, uh, proven life-saving medicine. These catastrophic decisions came at the expense of the innocent who were forced to suffer health damage and death caused by intentionally withholding critical and time-sensitive treatments or as a result of coerced genetic therapy injections which are neither safe nor effective. The medical community has denied patients the fundamental human right to provide true informed consent for the experimental COVID-19 injections. Our patients are also blocked from obtaining the information necessary to understand risks and benefits of vaccines and their alternatives due to widespread censorship and propaganda spread by governments, 
public health officials and media. Patients continue to be subjected to forced lockdowns, which harm their health, careers, and children's education, and damage social and family bonds critical to civil society. This is not a coincidence. In the book entitled COVID-19, The Great Reset, leadership of this alliance has clearly stated their intention to leverage COVID-19 as an opportunity to reset our entire global society, culture, political structures, and economy. Our 17,000 global COVID summit physicians and medical scientists represent a much larger, enlightened global medical community who refuse to be compromised and are united and willing to risk the wrath of the corrupt medical alliance to defend the health of their patients. The mission of the Global COVID Summit is to end this orchestrated crisis, which has been illegitimately imposed on the world, and to formally declare that the actions of this corrupt alliance constitute nothing less than crimes against humanity. We must restore the people's trust in medicine, which begins with free and open dialogue between physicians and medical scientists. We must restore medical rights and patient autonomy. This includes the foundational principle of the sacred doctor-patient relationship. The social need for this is decades overdue. And therefore, we, the physicians of the world, are compelled to take action. These 17,000 scientists, right, medical scientists and doctors, after two years of scientific research, millions of patients treated, hundreds of clinical trials performed and scientific data shared, we have demonstrated and documented our success in understanding and combating COVID-19 or the flu-19 and considering the risks versus benefits of major policy decisions. Our global COVID summit of 17,000 physicians and medical scientists from all over the world have reached a consensus on the following foundational principles, which there are 10 of and then it's over. So stand with me. Number one, we declare the data confirm that the flu-19 experimental genetic therapy injections must end. Number two, we declare doctors should have not, uh, correction, we declare doctors should not be blocked from providing alternative life-saving medical treatment. We declare the state of national emergency, which facilitates corruption and extends the pandemic, should be immediately terminated. Number four, number four, we declare medical privacy should never again be violated and all travel and social restrictions must cease. Number five, correction, we declare masks are not and have never been effective protection against any airborne respiratory virus in the community. Number six, we declare funding and research must be established for vaccination damage, death, and suffering. Number seven, we declare no opportunity should be denied, including education, career, military service, or medical treatment over unwillingness to take an injection. We declare that First Amendment violations 
and medical censorship by government, technology and media, including the Bill of Rights, must be upheld. Number nine, we declare that Pfizer, Moderna, BioNTech, Janssen, AstraZeneca and their enablers withheld and willfully omitted safety and effectiveness information from patients and physicians and should be immediately indicted for fraud. Number 10, and last but not least, we declare government and medical agencies must be held accountable. Okay, so first speaker, climate change, please take the stage. The Greenie is up and ready to talk. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, th thank you, Brent, and, and thank you, uh, Hannah and uh, Kelvin. I'm, I'm a climate scientist and have been for more than 30 years. And I'm here by accident tonight because one of my colleagues said I should be here. So I have come to share uh, our views or my views. Yep. And thank you. One of the things about climate is it's a weak science and it involves a pressure from a number of science communities to make that thought uniform. As a result, there is a tremendous amount of misinformation which is being distorted and you've probably heard about the hockey stick graph, the fraud of the climate gate uh, scandal. What I would really just like to share with you is some facts about climate. First of all, CO2, carbon dioxide, is not a problem. That's the first thing. The second thing is climate change is unstoppable. There is no climate emergency. There never has been. There isn't one now, and it's unlikely that there will ever be one in the future. As far as carbon... As far as carbon dioxide goes, you have probably heard how much there is in the atmosphere, 400 parts per million. But what the scientists who are pushing the barrow on this don't tell you that of that 400 parts, how much nature puts up and how much we put up in our animals. You may be interested to know that 388 parts per million are put up by nature and we put up 12. And what the science community and the politicians are asking you to accept is that that 12 parts is causing global warming and it's irrefutable. Let me assure you, that 12 parts is so insignificant, it has no impact. It represents 0.04% of our atmosphere. So, ladies and gentlemen, I was going to be brief, but I just wanted to share the thoughts with you that this has to be the fraud of the 21st century. Thank you. Always get a big round of applause when you hear the truth. Hey, perfect. Thank you very much for that excellent speech. Now, 
Kathy White from the Waikato Regional Council. Big round of applause, everybody. Give it up. Hello, everybody. It's really nice to be here and see so many familiar faces. Uh, as you know, over the last two years, um, we've come together for all kinds of reasons. And I'd just like to thank everybody, actually, the, the businesses who've fought discrimination, the individuals who've turned up to protests, um, just the people who've done so many things, the cafes who've turned takeaway rather than discriminate against you. I mean, all of those small things that people have done, which were actually quite big things for them, um, that actually made the difference. But look, I'm the Waikato Regional Councillor for Taupo Rotorua. I have been for the last nine years. Um, but as you can imagine, I'm here tonight as an individual rather than representing my council because if I'm here as an individual, I can actually speak from my heart and I can tell you exactly what I think. I think the thing is that all of us have experienced something quite dramatic, something quite radical in our society. And, and what we've seen is how quickly our rights can deteriorate. And, uh, and, and not only how quickly they can deteriorate, but how people can be expected to conform um, and, and how you can have your job taken away, your home taken away, um, just simply because uh, a government decides something should be mandated uh, and that vaccine passes should be introduced into your society. It told me how easy it is to create a two-tiered society, and I just don't think any of us should ever, ever allow that to happen again. I think the good thing about tonight is that I can see just how much people did come together over that time. There have been some things that happened, for instance, personally to me. Some of you know that um, that in my council, I was the only councillor who voted against supporting the government mandates and the vaccine passes. And, uh, and actually, that was quite tough. <laughs> um, there was quite a lot of, of bullying. Uh, there was uh, quite a lot of harassment from the media, as I think you all know from the headlines that were in the local papers. I think what I realised was how many councillors throughout the country were experiencing the same thing. I suddenly realised Sandra Gowdy, Mayor of Thames Coromandel, was being um, vilified in the press. And I think all of these things are orchestrated attempts to smother people, to just muzzle them and stop them from actually using their voice and expressing their opinions. And whenever that happens, we kind of need to come together and support each other, which is what I think happened, and that's the thing I just want to say, because when it happened to me, what I saw in my community was quite extraordinary. I, I had people come from out of the woodwork everywhere and come and tell me their stories, offer their support, um, show their camaraderie. I've made a lot of friends but I've also heard the stories, the personal stories from people um, who have suffered really quite serious adverse effects. Uh, I, I have one friend who died um, the same week that she spoke to me on the phone about what happened to her after her second dose of the vaccine. Uh, she told me that 
She didn't realize it was connected to the vaccine. And I just wonder how many of you have heard that, that same story from people that they've, they've had these sudden things, an attack of myocarditis or pericarditis, and they just simply don't realize that it's connected to that vaccine that they've had. But I think the thing is that the more we share stories, the more people see the similarities between what has happened to them. And my friend, when she spoke to me and told me that she'd had a, a weight, feeling of a weight of bricks on her chest at night, couldn't breathe, had to be taken to hospital, and had all of the tests done, was later diagnosed with pericarditis and some lung damage, what really struck me with her was I said to her, I think you need to talk to your doctor about whether this was a vaccine injury. And she did. She called her doctor and her doctor said to her, I acknowledge that it, it probably was a vaccine injury. But what you need to understand is things would have been much worse for you if you hadn't had the vaccine and you got COVID. Well, the thing is, I saw on Facebook three, I, well, I should, I should um, say I saw on Facebook three days later that her sister had posted that she had died. Now, the thing is, a lot of you have come forward and told me stories. I've had nurses and doctors phone me, and they wouldn't have known to phone me if I hadn't been in those awful articles in the paper. So something good came out of those awful articles. Um, the doctors and nurses told me how many cases they were seeing of myocarditis and pericarditis in really young people, um, that it was extraordinary, that they'd never seen this kind of thing before. I also had doctors tell me that they had applied for exemptions for patients who, had, um, who were actually allergic to ingredients of the vaccine and that they all of those applications for exemptions were denied. And I've also had people um, contact me on the day they had their vaccine and describe the things that happened to them. Um, and, and, you know, I've never, ever heard of anything like this before. I really do think it's been a an, an most extraordinary thing because so many people have told me these stories. I guess for me, um, I don't believe that anybody is, is acknowledging these things and we need to make sure that whether it happens in one month or one year or 10 years, that we keep the pressure on to make sure that these things do get acknowledged. I think we have to persist. Um, I also think we have to continue to stand up for our rights our rights and our, our ability to choose for ourselves. It's very important that we never let that go. And I don't think any of you will. I, I can tell that because the fact you all turned up tonight tells me that. Uh, one thing I did want to say is that uh, I, um, I would really especially like to thank the people, the local people who helped me when we did a deputation to Topol District Council. Uh, we had people, we had business people, we had a retired doctor, we had someone from the Youth Federation, um, and we had a whole bunch of you write letters in support. I mean, put your hand up if you're one of those people. I know lots of you did. And, you know, 
you wrote to the, the, the local council um, because they had brought in quite an extreme vaccine pass system. You couldn't even use the Superloo. Uh, but the thing is, you know, at first they didn't reverse the vaccine pass system, but then eventually they did. And what they did was put out a press release that said that they were the first in the country to reverse it. And they also called on other councils to do the same. So although <laughs> I don't think that they should have brought in such an extreme system in the first place, what it did tell me was that everybody's individual actions, those letters you wrote, those speeches that you made, all those things you did made a difference. And so those are the things that I think we need to remember. Just one final thing um, that I did want to say. If anyone's interested in being a regional councillor, if they're interested in air, soil, water, those kinds of things, if they're pro-choice, pro-freedom, if they, if they are interested in making sure that you keep local control, local influence, local voice, um, and if you're concerned about pesticides, please contact me because I would love to step down from council in October. And if I think there's someone out there who is going to defend the kind of things that I, I defended over the last nine years, I'd really really like to talk to you. So, so I'd like you all to give yourselves a big clap because I think everybody here played their part um, over the last so many months in trying to actually get things to change in our community and things are gradually changing. They haven't changed enough, but I think you should give yourselves a big clap for everything that you've done. Thank you. Uh, Kathy, I think um, you deserve a big clap as well because, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if we had more people like you, the last two and a half years would have been a lot different. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Right, okay. Uh, we have Murray Shaw, 1987 stock market crash and corrupt solicitors. Sounds interesting. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, good, mate. Get into the mic. Get into okay. it. Nice and, nice and close. Um, Kiss it. Kathy, I wish I could talk like I wish I could talk like you are. I'm sorry I can't. I've got to read what I've got. So first of all, we've got to thank Calvin and Hannah for Counterspin. Because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. Okay, so we had it on Monday night at my place, 300 people. It was unbelievable, unbelievably awesome. Okay, I'm going to talk about my gripe with councils and the government. Totally nothing to do with, with COVID. I've got a bird park which I've done for 34 years. It's been open to the public. It's all for free. We have a thousand people quite often every day. The best has been two and a half thousand. So 34 years of putting a park up, planted 5,000 trees, put in 2, 000, uh, two kilometers of concrete paths. Hamilton City Council decided they're gonna put a road through my property. 
60 metres at that time. They have reduced it now to 46 metres, but the road is 26 metres wide. To put humiliation into us, they stuck at 1.9 metres from our house. Okay. So this is corruption. Corruption, I've got a, two pages of it. I think somebody will restrict me, but anyway. The problem is, is the solicitors, who happen to be Tonkin Wake for the Hamilton City Council and the government, Tonkin Taylor, who are the engineers, who happen to be working for the council and the government, they're the problems, and it's all about making money, okay? So the Peacock's development, oh, I have, I've missed a bit. Yeah, now I've done that, Shaw's Bird Park. So they're guaranteed at the Peacock's subdivision 20 years of work, okay? So they're just going to push it and push it and push it. Okay, they're going to try and put, now we'll go back on this one, is because the east, this is all about the east-west road on the Peacock's development. It's not needed. You do not need the road. But they've put it in the most expensive part of building a road. Okay, a roundabout which they've built originally was $6 million. And I thought, what? $6 million for a roundabout, for goodness sake. You know what he ended up at? 32 million. That's the start of it. They got 3.1 kilometers to go. They're still saying, Andrew Parsons from the council, the CEOs and all the rest of it, we're only going to spend 34 million. Wait on, you've got to go through my blimmin' swamp for a start. Then you've got to go across the Monokoi Tukutuku Gully and they've just come out from a staff member. The bridge is going to be 42 million. Wait on. 34? You've already spent. You've still got three kilometres of road to build. I mean, this is just the corruption, the lies that they put in. This, so we'll leave that alone. I'll go back to this 87 share market trash. Okay? So we walked off our farm at a helpo at 400 acres because we were paying 33% interest, okay? I only owed 600,000. Had an income of 120,000. It doesn't add up. You don't need a calculator. But what have we got now? We've got people have got mortgages of 700,000, okay, on an income of 70,000, paying 3 to 4% interest. If the interest rates rise, just half a percent, there's going to be mortgagee sales everywhere. I don't know what the government's going to do. Perhaps I've put something in the budget. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and people will probably think, 
what is he talking about? 33% interest. But this is the share market crash. Roger Douglas, Richard Preble, making money. Okay? And they friggin' well knighted Roger Douglas. Like, you've got to call him sir. How many farmers walked off their land? I don't know. I was just one of them. And then they humiliate you. You can't walk off your farm. You can't walk off your house. You've got to sell it. You know what happened? My solicitor, who was working for me, John Campion, flippin' tried to buy it. Okay, I could look, I could go leave that alone. <laughs> okay, Peacock Subdivision. Okay, Hamilton City Council, under the Public Works Act, they can take your land. You do not own land in New Zealand. You have your name on a title only. Okay, 34 landowners in the Peacock subdivision. There's only three of us left standing. 11 of them, 11 of them, they took the land for $1. Or some of their land for $1. Under the Public Works Act, they can do that. They paid some hush money between five thousand and a hundred thousand. The the Peacock's Road is 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 carrying on. The government gave Hamilton City Council. We're in trouble in Hamilton. We got no money. The count, the government gave them three hundred million to put a bridge across the Waikato River. Okay, ten years ago, six years six years are gone. The deal is the council have to, rate payers have to give the money back if they don't want to pay interest. Otherwise, they're going to be charged interest. They haven't got any money. So, obviously, they're going to be paying interest. Okay, I'll go back to this east-west road. So, six million, I said to you, around about, ended up 32. So, now they've got a... So this road is going to cost 170 million if you go six times 32, five times more, 34, five times more, 170 million. Ratepayers, not taxpayers, ratepayers. Do you want me to carry on? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so the Public Works Act because I'm the only one standing who says in, in 2018, Kevin O'Brien from the Property Group, who the Hamilton City Council pay for somebody to do the dirty work, come to me and says, Murray, we're going to um, negotiate to put a corridor through my 10.5 hectare bird park, which we have all these people coming. And I said, it's not for sale. Well, it went dead. But we can work around there for, for compensation. Kevin, it's not for sale. Goodbye. I don't want to see you again. Okay? So now I've been fighting since 2018. You have to, because you don't agree with the council or the government, you have to go through three mediation meetings. Okay? 
The second one, we demanded that we have it with councillors of Hamilton City Council. Okay? So the deal was with them is that I spoke for half an hour. We were going to go out while they talked about it and then um, they would give their side of the story. We went ushered out after me talking about not working in good faith. They don't even know what the word is. They don't understand it. They don't certainly do it. So we sat there for 20 minutes. They came back in and said, no, that's the end of, this is mediation. No, 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 we've got other important things to discuss. And that was it, mediation. Okay, the third one, my solicitor, Phil Lang, and, and Lachlan McDowdy from Tonkin Wake spent most of the time outside talking. Not in front of us. What? Mediation. It's absolute bullshit. Then you go on to environment court, which you have to do to try and slow this down. The, the biggest thing is environment court is nothing to do with the environment. They should call it corruption court because that's what it is. What a showdown. And Judge Dickey, who was presiding with, with two commissioners, actually said to us, can we come out and look at the park? And I thought, wow, this is awesome. So we took them around the, around the park in the golf court, golf cart, because there's two kilometres of concrete footpaths, and it's all very good for people to walk around in. But she was never going to go with us, because she'd probably lose a job. She works for the government. So she didn't go with us, of course. So then, then you got Damien O'Connor from the government, okay? Because we lost at the Environment Court, then they come along, and this is really interesting, the last, in December the 15th, was the last day they gave up at the, at the, at the, at the, at the government. They all went on holiday. They put it in that they are taking the corridor of land off, off us. We, they never told us to the 25th of January. We were the last to know. That's what they do. Okay, Damien O'Connor, I'll put it to you. Or wherever, you are, wherever I am on this camera, Damien O'Connor, so they take your land. You can't stop them. Okay, but Damien O'Connor says, I don't know what the shores are going on about. They've removed a, a dwelling off the property. I have written to them on courier post thing. They don't reply. So Damien, where's the house I've removed? Tell me where it came from. 
and where it went because there wasn't one. Now we've got a barn, which I believe is the shed that, the, that we talked with Counterspin. It's not on the corridor, but that's got to be removed. So Damien, please answer your mail. I'll just give a plug now for, for Tony and Debbie, um, which we went to... Sorry? Tony Pascoe. Okay. So we w I went to, because I hadn't heard about these fellas till, till two weeks ago. I thought, I'd better go and find out what this is about. So I went down to Tony. This is Mount Messenger. Okay. It's a hundred times worse than what the Hamilton City Council is trying to do with me. This is Transit New Zealand. So we listened to Tony and Debbie, who are fighting the same thing as me. Poor Tony was crying most of the time. Okay, this is Transit New Zealand. Now the corruption is, and I took a drone, because I got a little bit, Tony's got no money. So I got a guy from up and up in Tauranga, we took a drone down there. There's abseiling ropes coming out of these trees that are 700 year old native trees with the bat holes in them, okay? They, we don't know whether they were there or they disappeared when they saw us and we had this drone. But they're filling the holes for the bats. This is the native bird of New Zealand for the year. I don't know how that come about, right? They're filling them with exposing foam to kill the bats so they can put the roads through. There's no native things here. No, because you killed the bloody things, right? Tony says all his life he's lived there, which is 60 years, he said from while he can remember, there was always Kiwi calling out. They're gone. Have they put the dogs on to get rid of the Kiwi? We don't know. Now this thing at Mount Messenger is just, it's just engineers, solicitors, surveyors making money. There's no need for it and we've got to stop it somehow. And I believe these people from Counterspin is a start and it's going to bloody well stop this corruption. Thank you. Thank you, Murray. Uh, Murray Shaw from Shaw's Bird Park, Hamilton. Yeah, it's a uh, touching story, mate, and you know, I hope you come out on top of that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Protest at Shaw's next Thursday, five o'clock. Um, just to remind everybody too, I think uh, that, you know, as long as everyone was aware, if no one's got the courage to come up after the uh, speeches, they were taking um, private stories on any injuries or adverse reactions to the vaccine and the bus. Remember at the end of the Counterspin tour, um, they're doing a big doco, so it should be quite massive, the amount that um, they record going from north to south. Also, I don't know if you've seen it, but over in the back corner, they've got merchandise, pretty cool shirts, hoodies, 
heap of cool posters. Um, and on the far wall, there's a there's a uh, just a storyboard of uh, people who have written. Um, they've had issues with the vaccine or lost their job, business affected. You're allowed to go up there and just write a story, if you like. Um, and you can leave your name, number in the book, and, and they can get in contact with you also. Uh, they're taking donations, Counterspin. Um, if you've got some cash, you want to donate, keep the wheels on the bus turning, get into it. Um, it's a good cause, and um, I think we should be supporting them and uh, keeping it going all, all the way through. So uh, get amongst it. But um, the next speaker we have is uh, Carolyn Stock. The Great Clear Slate, Humanity Now. Please come and take the stand. Yeah, okay. How are you? Yeah, Brent Harvey. Um, thank you, Councillor Um Okay. <laughs> Is that right? All right? Yeah, okay. Um, I just want to briefly give a perspective on human rights. And as a context for that, I'd like you to imagine for a moment that you own your own home, that you have plenty of food, that you have all of the resources that you need to stand as your own person, that you have zero debt, no mortgage, no rent, no bills, and you aren't paying any taxes. And now I want you to imagine that everyone else you know also owns their own property and land and has no debt. And not just everyone you know, but everyone in New Zealand and everyone in the world. That is what humanity is. And when we speak of human rights, the most fundamental human right there is, is the right of the support of life for life. We have been sold major fallacies, the idea that we don't have value, that money has value. We've been sold the fallacy of lack. There's no lack. Life is um, abundant. You know, if you pick an apple from an apple tree, another apple grows. It doesn't, doesn't um, experience any lack. And another thing about life is that life is replenishing. There is plenty. And can you imagine how much energy there would be and how much goodwill there would be if we lived in a system that supported us to be who we are? Can you imagine, you know, another fallacy that we sold is the fallacy that we're lazy. We're not lazy. We are, you know, the system that we live under, which is so oppressive, actually really works against people being able to connect, being able to express who they are, being able to contribute in the way that they want to contribute. So um, human rights are incredibly important. They are the basis of civil society. And um, on that... Uh, topic of human rights also. I just want to mention this book on liberty by John Stuart Mill. This book was written and published in 1859. In this book he talks about, you know, the fun well one of the one of the things he says in this book is that each is the proper guardian of their own health, whether bodily or mental or spiritual. 
He also says that the only freedom deserving of the name is that of being able to pursue our own good in our own way. You know, we are beautiful people if we are supported to be a humanity. But um, what I'd like to do is, this is full of so much good stuff, so I, you know, the whole lot, but I just want to read one brief passage from this book um, on liberty. So he says, um, concerning our right to express our opinion, he says, but the peculiar evil of silencing the expression of an opinion is that it is robbing the human race, posterity as well as the existing generation, those who dissent from it, um, still more than those who hold it. If the opinion is right, they are deprived of the opportunity of exchanging error for truth. If wrong, they lose what is almost as great a benefit, the clearer perception and livelier impression of truth produced by its collusion with error. Um, and just uh, a little bit more. We can never be sure that the opinion we are endeavouring to stifle is a false opinion. And if we were sure, stifling it would be an evil still. Those who desire to suppress it, of course, deny its truth, but they are not infallible. They have no authority to decide the question for all humankind and exclude every other person from the means of judging. To refuse a hearing to an opinion because they are sure that it is false is to assume that the, their certainty is the same as absolute certainty. Um, all silencing of discussion is an assumption of infallibility. Um, and so, I, you know, this I just recommend this book. It's a wonderful book, you know, and, and um, thinkers like that laid the foundation for a wonderful society that we're actually in danger of losing, as, as all of you know at the moment. Um, but just finally, I would like to say, you know, there is no greater force than that of an awakened humanity. And, you know, another thing is, is that when we see evil play out as we are now, and I'm using evil in the way that is, is understood within a humanistic framework is what opposes life. So when we see such opposition to life as we are seeing now, the thing about that is that it is also the end of evil, and the reason that is is because evil cannot exist in the light, and there is such an awakening of humanity at this um, moment. And so I just want to leave you with one final thought. Um, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, you will also remember who won. Thank Right, I've spoken like a true champion, and um, we've all got to remember those words. You know, keep pushing, keep keep asking questions, and um, stick together. You know, we might have a crack at it. Um, our special guest. Here we go. The special guest is Marta Philip. She went to the Counterspin Media event and trusted Hannah and Calvin to share her story. She is here to tell us about her incarcerated husband who she hasn't seen for five months and why he is there. So big hand for Marta Phillip and her story. Nice to meet you. Oh. Wow. 
It's been nerve-wracking. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me here. Yeah, my name is Marta. And um, well, I've been in, in this country for over 30 years now. And uh, um, I just love New Zealand. This has been my home. And until a couple of years ago, I thought this was the best country on earth. I truly believed that. I think it still can be, again. But uh, things, as we all know, deteriorated. Um, that first lockdown, March 2020, when we had one case. Remember, we had one case and we went into a full level four lockdown. I was made redundant after that. And um, I thought to myself, what am I going to do now? I may not be able to get another job quickly. Um, and my husband was very um, supportive. And he said, go do what you love doing. And uh, at that time, I was always at the gym. I loved it. I still do. And I thought, why not? I'm going to train myself as a personal trainer. So I did. A year later and $4,000 later, I had my certificate in my hand. And even before I graduated, Jude, who is actually here somewhere, she hired me at Silhouette Fitness. And, and I loved every minute of it. I truly did. Um, but it doesn't stop there, of course. Uh, only about seven or eight months later, the bloody um, traffic light system got into place, and we were mandated out of the job. Jude and I walked out of that gym together that night. Uh, and I thought to myself, can this government screw me any more than they already have? But then yes, of course, the answer is always yes, they can. And only a few days later, my husband was taken from me. That's Graham. Graham is a very funny man. He truly is. Those that know him knows that. And he is very provocative. He loves to ask difficult questions and uh, um, let you think for yourself and come up with your own ideas. And uh, he used to come into town dressed in a life jacket, a pair of goggles, and a snorkel. And when people asked him, why are you doing that? Are you crazy? And he would look at them and say, aren't you aware that uh, um, I'm saving your life by wearing my life jacket? <laughs> and don't you know that if you do not wear your life jacket, you're putting me at risk. So stop being selfish and wear your life jacket and your snorkel. But um, not everybody found that funny. Some people complained to the police. We had a few visits from the police. True. It does sound ridiculous, but it is true. And I had a very good friend of mine who came to me and said, it's not funny. 
And I said to her, look, if you can't see the funny side of it, you are lost cause. Um, and she said, I am very offended. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I said to her, when I see you driving inside your car with a mask, I get very offended. When I see you walking up the road on a sunny afternoon wearing your mask by yourself, I get very offended. So she realized, ah, yes. So, you know, be reasonable. If you are going to wear your mask, why can't he wear his snorkel? He's free, right? Or well, apparently not. Um, so 8th of December at 7 a.m., the police came and took him away and took every scrap of electronics in the house, including phones, my phones, old phones that had been sitting in drawers for like five years, um, computers, everything, his car, everything that you can possibly imagine that they could dig something. He had been very vocal on social media. He had a um, Telegram channel that he loved um, asking questions and then allowing people to go home and think for themselves. You know, why do you have to be always yes, ma'am? You know, think for yourself and come up with your own conclusions, um, please. And um, so he called, he, he drew attention to himself by uh, uh, being very vocal. From the very beginning, he always, always said there's something fishy about this pandemic, pandemic. He never believed in it, never. Even I, at the very beginning, I thought, oh, they must know something we don't. And he always said, nah, there's something not right about it. And one of the things later on, and I, I start thinking for myself as well, when I thought we have the seasonal flu every year, and every year we have 400, 500, 600 people dying of the flu. We've never had a lockdown. But then we had one case of this coronavirus, and all of a sudden, you, you had to lock yourself behind uh, closed doors. You couldn't see your family. You couldn't see your loved ones. You couldn't go to a funeral. You couldn't do anything at all. In fact, if you, if you wanted to go to the supermarket and the police stopped you, you had to tell them, I'm going to the supermarket. You know, there is, is this New Zealand? Really? Not the New Zealand that I came to when I was only about 23 years old. So we've come a long way from what we used to be like, but I, I haven't lost hope. I'm pretty sure we will go back to there one day. But the point is, I haven't seen my husband for almost six months. Today, I got a letter in the mail from the Department of Corrections telling me that I'm invited to fill up an application uh, for visitation. And I only need two documents. One of them is an uh, identity with photograph, like your driver's license. And the second one, guess what? Bingo. I need a, pa a vaccine passport fully boosted. I don't know how many they've had so far, but I need to have had the last one as well. Which means I am not going to be seeing my husband anytime soon. And, and for me, frankly, that's a travesty. That is absolutely heartbreaking. And I am I'm at my wit's end. What am I going to do? How can I, how, how can I even go and, 
and help him. I have a, a five-minute phone call a week with my husband. I can send him emails and he can call me back. But I can't call him and he can't email me. He can write to me, post letters, which take you know, three to four weeks to get to, to me. And my emails also take three to four weeks to get to him. No, he will refuse to be jabbed. Even the mask, he refuses to wear it. Sometimes they, are, they tell him that if you want to go outside, you have to put on a mask. He said, in that case, I'm staying in my cell. Thank you very much. He will, he will not give in to that madness because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It means absolutely nothing. This mask thing, it's, been, it's gone long enough and it's just killing people with lack of oxygen and that's why their brain is dead. People are not thinking for themselves. For goodness sake, rip this thing off your face and breathe fresh air. Thank you. I, I am, I'm really sorry for you guys because everybody here is breathing fresh air except you guys. So I, I hope you stand, stand up. Stand up. It's, it has been, it has gone long enough. It has gone long enough. And this thing has never saved you from anything and never will. Never will. We ask any doctor, any nurse, and they'll tell you this is absolutely hogwash. It's not going to save you from catching anything. There are up and down charges that I have no idea what, you know, I, can't, I haven't been able to speak to him freely. Our conversations are recorded. So we can't actually have a free conversation. And, and uh, after the 8th of December, I have not seen the police. Uh, I saw them once, and they came to explain some bail thing. They had been denied, by the way, because they, they don't trust their own system. But I have not had any written information, any document, anything. And I have to survive by myself. Uh, with this thing over me, this wet blanket over me, like when am I going to be able to see my husband, when am I going to be able to hug him and just have a normal life for a change. That's what I'm saying. It's not, it's not very clear. It's not very clear. But probably he's being charged with wearing a snorkel. But... But um, in the last year or so, I have made the most fantastic friends, and it's you guys. You guys have become my family, actually, because our own kids have turned their backs because we are unvaccinated. So you guys have become my family, and those that know who you are, thank you so much. God bless you, because you have been such a pillar of strength and really amazing. Thank you so much to Counterspin for giving me this platform and this chance to, to speak on his behalf since he can't be here and he can't defend himself. So I'm here and I will not crumble. I will stand strong until the day he can be right here beside me again. In the meantime, let's carry on doing what we, we know how to do.
Thank you, guys. God bless you. Oh, very moving story there from Marta. And um, I guarantee you not, you won't see that on the 6 o'clock news. Anything COVID-related that uh, means something, you won't see on the news. Um, but just remember, they say the truth is like a lion. You can't contain it. And, um, you know, the more work we do and try and getting the truth out there, as long as we stick with facts, um, It'll all be okay. So we've got one more speaker, and then it will be open mic. And yes, then you'll hear from Hannah and Calvin at the end of it. So the speaker is MIA. Rochelle Harvey, my wife, as she bolted. <laughs> she might have ducked off to the ladies' room. Okay, here she comes. Here she comes. Sorry, uh, called you out. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Rochelle's just got a, a short speech. And um, yeah, open mic if anyone's keen. Get into it. All good? Yeah, no, just there? Right, just yeah. The, oh, yeah. Hello? Right yeah, no, no, that's, that's good. That's good. Hi, um, everyone. My name's Rochelle Harvey. Um, so two years ago, I decided not to get vaccinated, as this is my personal choice. I am not an anti-vaxxer. We have three young children, and they all are current with their vaccines. Even my husband, who works overseas, he's had so many vaccines, I don't even know the name of them. But this was the first one that raised flags for us. This, this decision lost me friends, family, and even my social life. I wasn't allowed at my kids' school or kindy. I couldn't attend birthday parties, their sports. We were banned from kids' entertainment facilities, library, AC bars, the council, the playground, and even the public toilets. The only place I was allowed was the supermarket, the gas station, and the chemist. Anyone would have thought I didn't pay my rates. On top of this all going on, my husband was stuck overseas for six and a half months. This was hard on me and the kids, trying to explain to them why Dad couldn't come home. How dare they keep a New Zealand citizen from returning home? I have no issues with anybody's vaccine status. We, we have all been lied to by our government. We are all the same. We stand together and we are stronger as one. Now here we are, ops normal. Least we forget, well, I haven't. I'm left with all these questions. What did the mandates achieve? What has the vaccination rollout achieved? 
vaccinated and unvaccinated in the same room tonight talking about the same issues. Is anyone else confused? I went to the protest in Wellington and to be honest, I was gutted I didn't take my children with me. The protest made me proud to be a New Zealander. I saw no violence, it was peaceful, no suffering children. It was definitely no river of filth as we were labelled. The information they had on vaccine injuries were mind-blowing. We never heard that on the news, did we? I spoke to many people, teachers, midwives, doctors, nurses, farmers. Their stories were sad, to be honest. I was gutted. Some of them lost everything, all because they chose not to take a trial vaccine. It doesn't make any sense. It is all just lies from the mainstream media. I stand here proud tonight with my husband, Brent, under the Bill of Rights to stand up for freedom and democracy. And just remember, the, go the government treats you like mushrooms. They feed you shit and they keep you in the dark. Thank you. Okay, thank you, uh, Rochi. Uh, we do call her Roach. Um, I know that took a lot of courage to get up here and you'll be happy it's over. Okay, so um, if anybody wants to have a quick word, uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, no subjects off limit. Um, okay, we have a, we have a winner. Roger from Liverpool, England. Hello, New Zealand. Can everybody hear me? I wasn't expecting to speak tonight. It's going to be very short, but some good news. I've just arrived from the UK into New Zealand and discovered you're all awake. Well, not everyone. We know that you lot are. I've been working in the UK since 2007 to defeat the system. I've been in the courts. I've had a lot of trauma in my life because of, you know, fighting the system. It dawned on me about 10 years ago that their tool of control was the money system. We have developed our own money system. That's launching in New Zealand this year. It's very important, it's very powerful, okay? I can't tell you everything about it now, only that it's happening, okay? What I'm suggesting is that Counterspin, interview the people involved, keep tuned to Counterspin, and you'll find out more about it. It's exciting, and trust me, it's incredible. Thank you. Anybody else? Yep. What's your name? My name's Carl. 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 It's all yours. 
Hi, my name is Carl Breen. I'm a health and safety consultant. I'm based here in Topol. Now, a good friend of mine is uh, someone that suffers from mental illness. So during the lockdowns, I formed a bubble with that person to support them through this process. Because one of the things that was really disturbing to me as a consultant is that the amount of pressure that was coming from a mental... Oh, that was coming from the mental side of things for people. One of the things that I look at in health and safety is what are we doing to help the people around us, okay? So I was supporting this person. At the second lockdown, I was seeing her, uh, this person, and I was, she was in a hell of a state. Now, if, if you've ever dealt with mental illness, one of the things, the best thing that you can do is just to be there, okay? So this person was in a hell of a state. So it was 11 o'clock at night, I couldn't get her to sleep. She was wanting to take sleeping tablets, and I said, look, let's just work through this. Let's work together to get to the end result. We managed to get her to sleep. I was driving home. I was the only person on the road, and as soon as I drove down uh, the road to head home, I saw a police car in front of me, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. So I got pulled over, and this jumped-up little shit said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. He said, well, where have you been? I said, I've been at a friend's house supporting them because they have a mental illness. And he said, oh, I need their name. And I said, no, you don't. You're not allowed their name. And he goes, I can ask for any piece of information that I want. And I said, no, you can't. I said, because they're under community mental health, you're legally not allowed that information. And he said, well, I can demand it. I said, I don't really care what you demand. You can't have it. And he said... So you're going to tell me you're going to break the law? And I said, you're not listening. I said, you can't break a law to satisfy another law. And then I had him buggered because I had the truth and he hadn't actually listened at police college. So he said to me, oh, well, I need to know who the person is. He said, I said, I'm not telling you. He says, well, I need your details. And I said, why? And he said, well, in case I need to speak to you again. I said, well, you got my registration number. I know he'd already run my plate because he sat in the car behind me to do it. So for the next about four or five weeks, every time I went out, guess what happened? I got stopped by the police. Okay. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you, Topol. Is it not a reasonable society where we should be looking after those that are less vulnerable than ourselves? Isn't that the foundation of a society? Isn't that what we should be building? Shouldn't we be looking after those people that can't look after themselves? But when we do that, we're vilified by the government, we're vilified by the police, and we've already heard a story tonight, which to me is, I met Martha in Wellington. She came to, I was in Wellington when she was down there. This had happened in that, in that point between time. I cannot believe how our society has gone. How the hell did we go from fighting on beaches in, in a foreign country to, to putting people in a box and saying, if you don't tell me their name, I'm going to start chasing after you. We need to stop that for the vulnerable people in our community. So what I want to say to you is if you do know someone that's vulnerable, if you do know someone in that position, please reach out to them. Because as a health and safety consultant, I can tell you that one of the big problems we're going to have in the next probably 12 months is we're going to see huge problems around mental illness, we're going to see huge problems around suicide, and we're going to have huge problems around the breakdown of basic family values. We need to stand up for this, okay? It's not right. The other thing is, we've, from my perspective, I've had to look at one thing, and that's risk. What is the risk from what we're dealing with? 
It's pretty simple. When the cure is worse than the bloody disease, you've got to draw the line. Thanks, Deborah. Okay, have we uh, got any other brave souls? Plucked up a bit of courage? Oh, here we go. I know this. I know this guy. <laughs> uh, Bernie McQueen, Mecca, everybody. G'day, everybody. I think um, freedom isn't safe, but it's the safest thing we've got, so we've all got to stick up for that. Um, I think the biggest thing for all of us and all of our families and everything is the division that this has caused, like with our friends, our family, and everything, and it's, a, it's dealing with that. So I think with the division side, because at the end of the day, a lot of people that we know have been vaccinated, a lot of people haven't been vaccinated, but we can't, we can't get in, in, involved with the division, you know? So that's what the government wants. They want us divided. The divide and conquer is what's going to win this for them. So we've got to find that common ground with family. And I know that's hard because it's something that has affected us all. It's affected me. It's affected some of my friends. And I'm sure it's had an impact on all of your guys' lives here. So with family who don't agree with you, try and find that common ground and, and come to a common solution. I think that's the most important thing because together and united as family and friends will get through this because there's some tough days to come. We all know that. You know it, I know it, they know it. So I think that being stronger is one is most important and Another thing that's important is is putting yourself out of your comfort zone that you're in. Like for me, going to the protest in, in, in Wellington was kind of tough. I went there on the 11th of February. It was the day after the police put the first pressure on everybody. And we got down there at daylight. A few friends rang me up and said, come man, you lost your job with the mandates. Come down to the, come down to the protest. So I did. And the whole morning was pretty eerie. The, the, the feeling was eerie down there. It wasn't good. The cops were putting pressure on people. There's people coming up to everybody and saying, hey, the cops going to have three goes at getting us out of here today, and it's it. And a, a couple of my, my friends said to me, hey, man, I'm going to stand up against this. I'm, I'm not going to fold. And for me, I lost my job. I was a rescue pilot here in Taupo. Lost my job because of the mandates. And uh, I took a lot of flack for that from fellas that I work with, from friends and everything, but while I was down there, I, I, I thought to myself, shit, I don't, I, I don't actually think I want to be here. I was being a bit of a dick. I, I thought that I wanted to leave. I, I, the pressure got to me, and I felt, I felt the fear, you know, and that, that's false evidence appearing real, and I, and I wanted to leave, and um, Leighton Baker was here, and he came up to us, and he started talking to us all, and he said, hey, guys, what, what's your deal? Where, where you're from? What, what's your position? And we all talked about that. And he said, you know what, guys? I think the cops are going to have a good day, getting a good, uh, good hammer at getting us out of here today. And I said to Leighton Baker, I was like, yeah, man, I, I think we've probably made our stand. You know, the cops are going to come out, kick everyone out today. Maybe it's best we leave, you know. We've made, we've made a point. And uh, a couple of my buddies... Jason Goodyear from down in um, down in Palmy, he said, "No, nah, man, we're, we're not leaving here, man. We're, we're going to stand up to this, man." 
And, and I, I felt nervous, you know. I felt like I was way out of my comfort zone. You know, the cops came out that day and those boys went straight up to the front line and stood up to the cops and they went, they shot back inside and, and that was that for the day. And the, the protest went on for a few more weeks after that until the government pushed their propaganda. But the moral of the story is for me, after I went home, I thought about my friends standing up where I was probably ready to leave, you know. I was out of my comfort zone, but we pushed it. And uh, I felt a lot better for doing that. And I think I grew as a person for doing that. So my message to everybody here is to, we all think that this is probably going to go away. And, you know, it's, a, it's funny. We're having a yarn tonight, but it's not. This government's going to come back. They're not going to stop. They've given us a low at the moment, but they're going to come back and they're going to have another go. So we're going to stand up to them. And the next time they have a go at us, we're going to say no. Because all this bullshit we hear from everybody, we know that it's coming and we've just got to say no. And we've got to join with our families and the division stuff that I talked about before. And I don't know, that's a hard one is how do we unite? But, you know, divided we... Divided we fall, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. It's the oldest trick in the book. So we've got to stay, we've got to stay together and, and, and I think we're going to find that common ground. So yeah, push your comfort zones, stay strong and like I say, you know, safety, you know, freedom isn't, isn't safe but it's the safest thing we've got. So all the best everybody. Hey, uh, awesome, mate. Not easy to get up. And, um, yeah, especially when you believe in something so much, it, it's always uh, it's always emotional, eh? Pulls heartstrings. And, you know, I wasn't um, fortunate enough to, to be in country to get down in Wellington, and I'd take my hat off to you know, anyone that got off their ass and made the effort to go down there and stand with those uh, brave New Zealanders, stand up for their freedoms and democracy. And, uh, yeah, as I said, at least we forget least we forget them. So have we got another speaker? Oh, we do. Okay. This is the mother of Coral. Yes. Okay. okay. Hi. That's my daughter who's singing. Um, I um, had the full Wellington experience. Um, I'm still traumatised from it and I'm still in pain, physical pain, um, but that's okay. Um, so I went down on the convoy when I came through Taupo. It was so beautiful, by the way, because um, we came down from Hamilton and when we came past that big roundabout, it was really beautiful. Oh, right in there. Okay. I'll just, I'll just give you a quick thing of what my experience was. So, yeah, so we came down. We were the first ones on the street, 4.30 in the morning, welcomed in the big convo. It was so exciting. Like, we thought we were going to be there overnight. So I only had one pair of spare knickers. <laughs> so I had to just keep washing them. <laughs> but anyway, so, we would, so I was there and I was parked right on the front street. And um, it was my home for three weeks. I lived there in my car. And it was the most beautiful, amazing experience of my life. And the love there is the love that we are, and that we are going to we're going to shift this paradigm into this, and that's what was the clearest thing about that. And of course, when the love is that strong, so is the fear, 
So is the evil. So we were surrounded by the evil, and but in our little bubble world, right in Parliament, it was just beautiful. And I'm a singer, but I lost my voice. I stood for nine hours on that first line, right in the front, with the policeman right there in my face for nine hours. And I'm not that brave, you know. I'm a, I'm a sensitive, emotional person. and But I was called. And when I was called, I thought, no, if I've been called to do this, I have to do it. Right? Hey. <laughs> so I stood there and all my girls, we had a group of beautiful women. And all the women were up there and we stood together. These were tiny little skinny women, you know. And we all stood there and we prayed and we meditated and we sang and we spoke to the police, and we spoke to the police, and we said, we just told them the stories. We had, um, who was that poor girl? Um, her mother was up there, Casey's mum was up there with us. Um, we had Liz Gunder, and she was going, <laughs> I had my back to the police, and they were pushing me, and I had all these young guys around me holding me up. It was quite, it was quite cool. I caught up my little cuddle puddle. <laughs> Um, and I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. I was terrified, but I wasn't afraid because I knew that we were doing what was right. And you know what? Like all movies have shown us from right from the beginning of time that the good guys always win. And why do they always win? Because we are divine. Eh? There is only a source of well-being. And the rest of it is stuff that we are. It's, it's our dark, our shadow side. So after that nine hours on the line, and I had a nice man there who was protecting me, and I kind of fell in love with him a little bit. Anyway, we kind of broke up, but anyway, <laughs> what well, they say, uh, trauma bonding, eh? You know, never fall in love in intense situations. <laughs> I did anyway, but um, that's okay. And after that, um, um, all my girls had been ripped out, and and there was one lady, and I'll just tell you this story because this is really powerful. Um, when we were sitting down and the first cops came in and they started kicking us, you know, and we're sitting on the ground, and they're kicking us, and, and I wanted to run away, and I'm like, shit, I'm not brave enough for this, I'm out of here. So I, um, there was another girl there called Susan, and I grabbed her hand and I said, come on, this is too dangerous for us, this is men's work, you know, and she said, no, no, and she pulled me back in, and I would not have done that without her, and she said, this is our job, we've got to stay here, and all the women... All of us sort of intuitively knew what to do. We, like, none of us were professional protesters. There were some, like that girl who got ripped out by her, her breadlocks, you know, those guys were professional protesters. Um, but, but we were just normal people, just women, just, you know, mothers. Not a wife. <laughs> Not a wife, but... <laughs> um, daughters, sisters... And we all stood there, and all of us did the same thing. We all just held the energy. We held our grace. It was beautiful. And then, and then Susan, she disappeared. Like, I thought she was an angel. I thought, oh, maybe she wasn't real. Maybe she was just an angel there to give me the courage. But anyway, then she got out of jail seven <laughs> days later. <laughs> so she was one of the, the original girls that got locked up. And then after that, I just, I slept for a couple of days. I was completely traumatised and luckily my daughter came down to look after me. So I just slept in my van and, and like, it's amazing what you can sleep through, eh? Like, I was right, right in the front row of everything. Um, and then, so after I got better again um, and I was like, well, what do I do now? Because I couldn't sing anymore because I was, I was doing some singing, but I lost my voice. Um, so I set up a cuddle puddle. 
And my younger daughter, she's a festy girl, so she has cuddle puddles. You know the young people do that? Isn't that beautiful? And I thought, that's what I want to do, because people kept coming to me telling me these stories of their police brutality and their arrests and what had happened to them. Like everywhere, everyone in that whole area I was in, all of them had been arrested that day. So they all came and I thought, well, I needed, they need a place to come and tell their stories and just have some love and some, some cuddles. So we had this lovely little cuddle puddle. And um, so basically it was just about holding people and letting people tell their stories. So I heard all the stories about their arrests and everything. So that was, that was good because as it played out, I needed that information. So after our cuddle puddle, because, <laughs> um, you know, Wellington wind, so it kind of blew my cuddle puddle away. <laughs> but there was this little girl, um, all these beautiful little children would come to my cuddle puddle with me and, you know, they would just sit there and we would just draw and, and talk and... And this, um, my, as my, my um, gazebo got blown away, something was holding it down and this little girl looks up and goes, look, it's angels. Angels are holding on to that. And I knew that she could see the angels. There was a lot of angels down there, eh? And then, um, anyway, my cuddle puddle blew up and <laughs> everything. So, and then my um, other daughters came down and we got to be part of the music and everything. But every time they said, hold the line, I would get out of bed, five o'clock in the morning, get up there and stand there and I don't know what I thought I was doing really but anyway I would stand there and, and just hold, hold the grace and I got thrown into a bush one day and I, that's when I saw the real brutality of it, like the shields going up into people's faces and just them attacking people and pulling them out standing on their heads. It was horrible. And I... Um, and just the extremes of from, from this love and this compassion and this caring. And, you know, like the food was free, the clothes were free, you know, everything. Oh, you, you saw it. You saw the, the, the tents for the children and the, and the movie theatre. And, oh, it was beautiful. And the Hare Krishnas, you know. And, of course, we were all getting attacked by EMFs as well. So everyone got cold sores on their lips and swollen lips and everything like that. So that was all part of the battle. Um. So, um, anyway, as we got through, like, each day, we connected with more people. People from all throughout my life were, were coming into my life again and going, oh, my God, you're on our side. <laughs> yeah, and my, and my sister came and my family came. And, um, yeah, and then, again, another time we got called to the, to the front line and, and I saw all our brave men standing up there, all linked, you know. And, and a lot of these people were just normal you know, normal people. Well, we're all just normal people. We didn't know how to riot. We didn't know how to fight cops. Like, you know, we had no defence. We had nothing. We just had our hearts and our determination. And so on the very last day, it was five o'clock in the morning and, you know, they run down, hold the line, hold the line. This is after they stole the toilets and everything and broke the showers. And we came down and I got up. I was still in my pyjamas. I thought, oh, I'll go and get a coffee. And I was like, oh, no, no time for coffee. Didn't even get to go to the toilet. And next minute, I was in front of the line again with the guys all in full riot gear with their shields, holding their shields up. Um, and I was standing there and I was just talking. And I actually filmed it. Actually, first time I took my phone with me, which was lucky. So I had my phone and I was filming us. And we were just talking to them. But these cops were different from the first day. They were, they, we couldn't connect at all. You know, on that, on that, on the first lineup, we were connecting with the cops, and they were, you know, they, they went on easy on us, on me, on particular, I think. So I was there, and next minute, the whole thing 
just went crazy. And lucky my nephew came in and rescued me and they kicked the shit out of my legs, steel cat boots. You know, I still had my slippers and my pyjamas on and here they are kicking me and my whole legs were covered in black bruises after that. And then some kind of miracle happened. I don't really know what exactly happened, but one minute I was squashed completely up against this vehicle with all these people pushing, the cops pushing this way. And the next minute I was out the front of the line. I don't really know what happened. <laughs> and I was standing there and I go, oh, I do not consent, but I will not resist. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> so they didn't hurt me. They arrested me. And I told my story. I told them the story. And then they threw us a lock-up and there was the most beautiful, amazing, bravest women I've ever met. And there they all were. And they all came down to fight this battle for us. And they, one girl, she came straight out of She was completely pepper-sprayed. Her whole face was swollen. But as soon as she got out of lock-up, she went straight back to the front line. You know, and I met her again later. And that was the, these women were just amazing and so brave and powerful. Okay, thank you. And I'll just finish this last thing. And then they kept me in lock-up. I'll just finish this because this was quite funny because they kept me in this big, this big white room. And, of course, I'm a singer, so I start singing, you know, and I'm like, the hills are alive with the sound of music. <laughs> and they all rush in. They all rush in to see what I'm doing because I suppose no one sings and dances. So, and they go, do you want medication? Well, they say to me. And I'm like, no, thank you. I'm just singing. Anyway, I got out of lock-up in time to get my car. The whole of the street was cleared by the time I got back. Get my car out, and then we flee to um, some safe ground, which wasn't safe, and we got kicked out of there too. <laughs> anyway, but the world needs love, so let's just be love. Let's think about all our relationships and our own lives and our own personal connections with people and just work on that. No, work on ourselves. Well, thank you. You guys are awesome. Love you guys. Great job. Well done. Well done. Well done. Hey, thank you very much. Uh, another brave soul there uh, fighting for freedom and democracy. We have a business owner, disgruntled business owner from Taupo, sister-in-law, Donna Inch. I'm a bit short for up there. Hi. So I, I had no intentions of getting up here and speaking tonight, um, but I just have an absolute need to vent my frustrations. Maybe I need a, what was it, a cuddle puddle or something in my life? Maybe that's where I've gone wrong. So um, Donna Inch is my name. Oh. oh, no, it doesn't make it better, but thank you. <laughs> uh, Donna Inch is my name, and my husband and I, we own an event hire business in Taupo called Event Rent. Now I started that business in my garage about 13 years ago and if, you know, anyone who's owned a business or put in, oh, sorry, there we go, um, and just worked away at it and the last few years have been an absolute shit fight um, for many industries, not just ours, but the events industry has uh, taken a really hard, really hard hit and, you know, we've sucked that up, we've, um, we've, dealt with that, we've um, just done as we've told I suppose, we've had no choice but just to endure the restrictions and the lockdowns and just all the bullshit that's come with it. And I've questioned it all along but you know you don't really have a lot of choice do you, you know, except just sucking it up I suppose. And then it was another blow um, to us because my husband and I decided to make the, uh, should I say the choice to not get vaccinated. 
Well, uh, that was just another blow for us because all of a sudden we were bound to the office. We were literally confined to our, our four walls of our, of our showroom and our warehouse. We couldn't go on site to any venue in this region or in any region actually, except one, one venue in, in this region which is the Yacht Club which I have to say is the only venue in this town who would let us, who tried to bend the rules of the mandates and would let us on site, which was awesome. But we couldn't do any deliveries, we couldn't do any collections, we couldn't do any setups, we couldn't do any pack downs. Now that put a shitload of pressure on my small team, which I'd absolutely reduced to the bare minimum because we obviously had to, you know, try to survive. And to give you some indication of sort of the loss of income, 70% of our income come, sorry, 70% of our income came from corporate events. I'm all tangled up. Woo, there we go. 70% came from corporate events. Now, when that first lockdown hit, that went to 0%. So we lost 70% of our business overnight. And that hasn't, hasn't recovered for that whole sort of two-year period um, until about the last month when it's just finally had a bit of a, a turnaround. So where was I heading with that? So we had no staff. Um, and, and to add fuel to the fire, my husband and I, couldn't, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything, I couldn't do any sales calls. But you know, I just sucked that up and um, you know, because there wasn't a lot of choice. I was also, I'm also a marriage celebrant and um, I had about 25 weddings booked for uh, the summer just gone. And when I made the decision to not get vaccinated, I obviously had to pull pin on all of those weddings, all but a few, a few kind souls who allowed the unvaccinated to officiate. And, um, you know, that was obviously a lot of lot more lost revenue for us. And But more than anything, I take my ceremonies and my, my couples very personally, and I had to let them down. One couple I had to let down three days before their wedding because it had all just sort of happened, and I'd made the decision that I wasn't going to bend. Um, so that wasn't very pleasant either, but that's all good. Um, and, and all I'm saying is that when I, or what I want to say, I guess my frustration lies, is that when I've seen this cold or this flu or whatever you want to call it circulate in our society. I'm now really sitting there saying, what? Like, what? You have made our business and so many other businesses and so many other people lose their livelihoods, their homes, their businesses, their, their education. I mean, just the disruption is just unbelievable, really. It's not until you start looking into it you see the damage that has been done. And for a cold, you know, and the government, you know, they put out all these mandates and, um, you know, force vaccines down everybody's throats. And, you know, you've you got to ask yourself, like now they, they remove, they remove the mandates when the virus actually starts circulating in our society. Do so you not going to ask yourself, you know, like it was supposed to protect us for when it arrived, and yet when it arrived, they removed all the things that were set to protect us. And you know, what makes me sick and confuses the shit out of me is how so many people in our society haven't opened their eyes to see this and to question this. And I have had so many gnarly conversations and lost so many friends and family members, like you said before, the great divide, because I just, I'm not afraid to stand up for what I believe in. And I just can't believe how easily such a large percentage of the population have just gone with this and said, sorry, jump? How high do you want me to jump? Not a problem, you know, and, and that's really scary. 
It is called television. That certainly doesn't help. Absolutely, I've stopped watching that. Um, and yeah, and I guess you know, I'm I'm just worried. I'm worried for the future of um, our town. I'm worried for the future of our country. I'm worried to be a business owner under yeah the world, but I'm probably more worried about what's closer to home for us. Um, I'm worried about being a business owner. I'm worried about having two kids, and you know that that have got to go forth in the society and. It's scary times ahead, and I guess, you know, I just, it's nice to see so many like-minded people in a room, and um, I guess we just need to keep fighting for what's right, and get rid of this bloody government would be a good start. Um, yeah. And I, I, I hope like hell it's the end of it, because I just want to get back to doing events and making some money and living my life without all this rubbish, but I don't think it is the end of it. I certainly don't think it's the end of it. It's quite scary, but um, yeah, I think that's about all I had to say. But um, thank you. Hey, um, we're gonna call it there. Apparently we're on time. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. Is that all good? Yeah, we just gotta call it. Okay, who, put your hand up if you want one more. One more? One more. Okay. Hey, Donna. Donna, I think you've probably got about 80,000, 90,000 failed businesses that support you also. Yeah. Okay, mate. Hook in. Hi, guys. My name's Luke. Probably youngest dude here, but that's all right. <laughs> um, I'm just going to share my perspective. I've um, just written a couple of quick poems. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Just written a couple quick poems that I wanted to share, so someone said get up and do it, so I'll do it. So um, this first one is um, yeah about the vaccination. So it goes, um, why are you pushing so hard for me to vaccinate? Most of us just want to chill, man, relax and wait for the real stats to drop when the facts are straight. Till then, can't we just play COD again? I'll wax you, mate. Yeah. Fucking friendships start to shatter till they crack and break. But it is what it is, at least I'm not acting fake. Can't even go to the pub and freaking grab a spates. Getting barred for what? I pay tax and rates. I thought this was a choice. Why does it feel like there's no option? And if you speak up and have a voice, you'll cop a fine if you don't opt in. Just do it for the boys, and if we end up in a coffin, at least we'll go out together. Sweet, let's get this chicken's shot locked in. <laughs> I guess all these restrictions has made me realize my convictions. How to compromise with my chicken plus a rise in addiction. Rely on my prediction that this will all end one day. Till then, try not to be tricked into giving my freedom away. Thank you. And this next one is just, um, just about kind of, every, I've always been, you know, a conspiracy theorist, if you want to call it that. I know everything, is, yeah. They, I think I heard someone say once that a conspiracy theory is only a conspiracy theory for six months and the truth comes out. <laughs> um, this next one is just more of a general one, but it goes, um, who really wants to listen to what someone else says is true when you try to show your fellow man a simple thing or two? Like how there's two teams in all ball games, only two sides for you to choose. In fact... Uh, there's only two political parties. In fact, there's even two of you. There's the you as you are, your soul that's taken at your birth. Then the corporate you too, which is just the stock that shows your worth. 
And every man is just collateral for a bottomless bottom line. They're making robots with lobotomies, bloody butchering our minds. But I'm a lobotomist too. I'm just trying to open yours. Instead of running scared, how about you stay for the applause? Because the end is nigh. That's why I get high. So fuck this life. I'm going to say goodbye. But not by suicide. I couldn't even comprehend it. My mind's bended in a weird way, but not enough for me to end it. There's too much to be discovered. I'm not even getting started. Ask my mates, don't get me started about Gaddafi's gold standard being uncovered. <laughs> Most people I talk to just say, yeah, sure, man, really? I respond by saying, look up the straw man theory. But either or, I'm still a poor man, really. The truth's behind closed doors and the doorman's scary. It may be better not to know you know, ignorance is bliss, but you miss the point of living, it isn't just to just exist, but what is it then? Power and money? Because a buzzy bee exists to suck on flowers for honey. And bees are dying, that's an omen, sun showers are coming. I spend my life uncovering hiddens while the cowards are running. Thank you all. Oh well, hey. Excellent work there. I'm, I'm glad we, we hung in for that, for that last one. Well done. Uh, that's a counter-spin hoodie, by the way. Um, yep, just to finish it off here, guys. Um, awesome effort, Taupo. Hey, the TPO's hardcore. Good to see. Keep smiling. Um, don't be afraid, you know. Don't be afraid. And don't forget, over in the corner here, get into the merchandise. they got some cool stuff. You can donate if you want. Counterspinonline.com, Facebook. Follow them just so we can keep those wheels on that bus rolling down south and continuing on promoting freedom and democracy. And I'll hand you back to Hannah and Calvin. Thank you. We won't keep you long. Yeah, you guys have been really patient. Thank you for that. Um, and thank you to all the speakers. Amazing stories being told. That's what it's all about. You guys getting the truth out. So let's give all the speakers another round of applause. And um, I just want to thank our team as well. This thing doesn't happen by itself. Uh, and if you haven't already checked out the bus when this wraps up, be sure to go and check out the bus. Uh, if you've been following us on Telegram, you'll see where it came from and where it is now, and honestly, I just never thought this would happen. So thank you all for making that happen. Thanks to our team. Um, are we going to go through all their names? I think you should. Okay, so we've got Team Zulu. So this is the genius behind Counterspin over here in the corner. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> so... Team Zulu got us on to band.video. If you're not following, um, that's the Alex Jones InfoWars platform. So now your guys' voice is getting out to the wider um, globe. So that's great. Um, and who else have we got? We've got Dana Lee, our tour manager. You would have seen her down in Wellington covering information for us down there. We'll give her a round of applause. And to prove we're not a uh, white supremacist, she's a spear chucker. <laughs> yep, and we've also got um, her partner uh, Valkyrie, we've got Barack, uh, we've got Lisa, we've got Arthur who's jumped on board from all the way up in Pi here, uh, we've got Paris, the bus driver, um, have I missed anybody? I'm actually trying to think. I think that's everybody, so let's give them all a round of applause. <laughs> 
And so I just want to say as well, tomorrow we will be in Palmerston North, so be sure to tell all your friends in Palmerston North to check us out. Um, and then on Saturday we'll be in Porirua. They tried to, the trolls tried to close us down there, but the church that will be having us has um, flip-flopped and they have decided to stand up and do the right thing. So give them a round of applause. And then on Sunday, we have a massive event in Wellington um, with Dr. Shelton and Hecker from the Freedom Rights Coalition and a whole lot of other amazing people. So if you've got any friends in Wellington, tell them to please turn up to that event as well. Then we'll be crossing over to the South Island on Monday and uh, Blenheim on Wednesday. And then we'll be going all the way... sink the ferry. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be going all the way down the East Coast and then back up the West. So we're kind of about halfway through and it's been a massive tour. It's been amazing. So great to see you all. And just another huge thanks to the Pub and Grub and Brent for making this happen. Yep. Brilliant, guys. <laughs> and we promise you one thing. We'll continue to allow your voice to get heard because, like I said, the people are watching this live. They're also, it'll be uploaded again, and the more people get to hear you and what you're about, the more they'll realise they're not alone. You'll reconnect with the community and start actually standing up to the pricks that are in the Parasite Palace down at the Beehive. I still think that place needs to be fumigated. I still think it's a bloody crime scene. It needs to be cordoned off. Records preserved and used in trials for these pricks who should be standing trial for crimes against humanity and mass democide. And to all those who were coerced to be jabbed, because you were, there was not a choice, it's like playing Russian roulette with a bloody shotgun, you're going to get done either way. So, we're, no one's anti the jab people, we're anti the fucking idiots who won't listen, that's it. Don't worry about doing your research, the research is done, you just got to read it and give it to your mates, that's all, cheers. Yeah, and I... <laughs> I just want to say one more last bit of housekeeping. Please do go and sign up to the website for our newsletter because um, we are getting taken down off social media. And also, if you have an extra account, does anybody have an extra account? Yeah, so that, um, those email accounts are actually being blocked. So we can't send you emails. So this is what we're finding is happening. So big tech is obviously working with government. Now they're actually approaching the telco companies and they're actually blocking accounts. So if you have a extra account please go and do a proton mail account um, and actually sign up and that way you'll get our newsletters directly um, and yeah please do go and tell us a story um, and if you want at the uh, at the end we'll, we'll film a story in the bus if you've got a jab injury story and one last thing we promise you we will not be blackmail we will not be coerced we will not be back down won't cow to these bastards yeah. thanks thanks for having us stay for a drink we'd love to meet you Impulse are the shots of torches and the schools Playgrounds and bars and swimming pools Cancel festivals, beach out And music shows that the rugby was still up But no one could go Many of us will stay home So grateful for our telephones We'll keep working and holding us up For they are our heroes With the strength and the guts Self-isolation For the whole population We know we must do what we talk to But we might just go
Find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video.